You're listening to the New City Church Podcast. These episodes are recorded live on Gadigal land. Sometimes the audio quality might not be perfect because what you're listening to is a conversation. We don't edit out the chatter. We think that's what makes it authentic. Wherever you're tuning in from, we hope you find this episode encouraging. Um, I realize I didn't say welcome before. Um, so let me add my welcome to Becky's welcome uh, and say it's good to have you here. Um, if this is your first time or you count yourself newish in any way, on I think it's the 7th of April, we're going to have a newcomer's dinner. Sounds like a plan, doesn't it? Let's do that. Um, a newcomer's dinner is just a way to connect. If you haven't been to one, um, come along and enjoy. Uh, uh, as you can see, people are getting up, grabbing cups of tea. Please just do that as we go on. There is um, every chance for you just to be comfortable and enjoy this space, make it your home uh, as we go on through the evening. Um, uh, as Becky has said, happy Mardi Gras weekend. Um, also, happy introduction to Lent. You are also exciting. Who grew up with a church calendar that recognized Lent as, as part of the tradition? One. One. Okay. What, what low church people we are. Look at that. Uh, um, uh, Lent is a huge part of the church calendar around the world. It is in the lead up to Easter. It started, does anyone know when? Wednesday. Does anyone know what we celebrated on Wednesday in the church calendar? I'll give you a clue. Well done. Well done. Um, does anyone know what this was? That, that, that's your clue. Um, yeah, well done. That was not like putting Simba's mark there. That was, they put Ash there. And on Ash Wednesday, we recognize a bit of a mantra of humanity, if we will, uh, which has been part of the church for millennia. Uh, ashes to ashes dust to dust. Uh, and it's a time of sitting with recognizing the realities of death. Uh, and that's, that's how Lent begins. Um, and Lent is a season typically where people give something up as we prepare ourselves for Easter. Um, and so I'm going to invite you, if you want to give something up, go for it. Um, have fun. Um, it's not legalistic. It's not, um, it's not something that you, you know, whack yourself over the back with and be like, damn it, I gave it up, but I accidentally ate the chocolate. Um, it's just a reminder for you, similar to the Christian tradition of fasting. It's putting aside something that is otherwise valuable and thinking through, what does it mean that Jesus came, Jesus died, and Jesus was raised to life again as we, we prepare ourselves uh, and so, welcome to Lent. It's good to have you here. Good to have you here. This is what it looks like. Um, we uh, are going to keep going through the book of John, and it's quite fitting that on tonight, uh, Ash Wednesday, the start of Lent, lined up with John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. And so I want to give a little bit of a warning. We are going to enter into talk about death, because that's, that's where we are. Um, it's real. We're not going to shy away from it. But I also want to recognize that for people in this community, death is real. Um, death is a part of our recent history with loved ones and people that we really care for. Um, and so I, would, I, I want to voice that. Uh, and I hope that tonight um, we, will do, uh, we will do the realities of death honor. 
uh, and justice. Um, we, won't, we won't be frivolous about it, um, but we'll also recognize some hope in that. Um, and we'll also be, be real as we face it. Uh, and my hope and prayer is that we will be a community that faces that reality together. Um, that, that's my, my dream. Um, so today we're going to explore two things. Uh, grief and loss, and the, the big questions that frame this. Uh, what, what do you do when life doesn't go how you planned it? Uh, what do you do when life seems to go off the rails? Um, but the second question that we're going to tackle a little bit later on is, uh, what do you do when, uh, when resurrection breaks through? Uh, what do you do with that? What do you do when surprisingly something hopeful breaks into the darkness? What's your response? Because we all respond differently to that. So that's, that's where we're heading. We feel okay with that so far? Let me pray. Let me pray for us. Um, um, God, as we enter into this chapter, this story of Jesus' incredible ministry on earth, as we look at the death of Lazarus, the grief, the weeping, and then as we look at the resurrection, um, God, would you be with us? Would you still our hearts? Would you connect us to one another? Would your spirit be here comforting, guiding, training, equipping? God, would we know your presence as we discuss some really hard realities? Um, God, would we know your hope in the midst of darkness? Amen. Um, I had an incredible honor the other day uh, to officiate a wedding, uh, not a wedding, a funeral. Oh, my bad. Uh, a funeral of uh, he was a gay Christian man who had been with his partner for 50 years. It was such an honor. Um, and it was uh, a chance just to be with a family as they mourned the loss of their uncle, their partner, uh, their, their brother, somebody who had been incredibly beautiful in their community. Uh, and for me, as I sat with that, it hit home again, the realities of death. And then we've seen... We've spoken about this a fair bit, uh, Ukraine, what's going on there. Uh, we've seen in our country floods that have taken lives. And we've seen uh, Shane Warne, uh, his passing today, or yesterday rather. Um, death seems to be, no matter where you are at in the news cycle, fairly prevalent, doesn't it? Um, and that's something that's safe to say has been going on for as long as you know, as long as humanity has been breathing, um, we've also been ceasing to breathe. The West, and by that I mean, you know, Western civilizations, we do a terrible job when it comes to death. Uh, that's not my analysis. That's the analysis of many, many people far more smart than me in this region. Um, we do a terrible job at honoring death and recognizing the realities of how it affects us and how it impacts us. We don't have, in my, in my experiences, good rituals that can help us to sit with grief, that can help us to navigate the complexities of grief. Grief is shocking. Um, and it's shocking because we don't talk about it. And so when it hits, we're literally shocked. Um, it hits us. There is nothing new about grief. 
uh, we see even in this passage, there's at least 2,000 years of humanity going through grief, uh, of sitting with, experiencing loss. And every loss must come with an equal and adequate grief response. Every loss comes with an adequate grief response. What that looks like for every individual is going to be individual. It's going to be unique. It's going to be different. In this passage, Jesus comes face to face with grief. Jesus comes face to face with grief. So let's go through the story a little bit. Uh, Jesus is doing his ministry. If you've just joined us, we've been going through the book of John. And up to this point, it's been this roller coaster of a ride. Uh, if you've been around, you'll, you'll recognize this. It's been a roller coaster of a ride of tension in power plays between Jesus and the religious leaders, yeah? And they've kind of just been battling it out constantly for the last five chapters, uh, kind of almost this one-upmanship in which Jesus wins every time. Um, and Jesus keeps, keeps winning this battle of power and then he disappears from the debate uh, and he goes off into the countryside and he just starts doing ministry. Um, and for me, as I read that, that's a really beautiful reminder that you don't need to be battling with the powers constantly. If you're living a beautiful life of ministry that is healing, gosh, that's nice. And that's, that's where we see Jesus at this point in the story. He, you know, the Pharisees are nowhere in this this scene that that story has come to an end and we're entering a new part of John here we are um Jesus is with his disciples and word reaches him that his friend Lazarus is sick Mary and Martha Lazarus's sisters have sent word said Jesus come quick the one you love is unwell and Jesus stays there he, he doesn't go uh, and now there's a good reason why Jesus wouldn't go, uh, because last time he was in Judea, as Thomas Didymus said, uh, last time you were here, I tried to kill you. Um, so so let, let's not go. Um, that sounds like a bad idea. And Jesus uh, ostensibly agrees with them, maybe. Um, at least that's what it looks like to them. He's like, okay, well, let's, let's not go. In the back of his mind is yet. Uh, we're we're going to go. And he says to them, uh, I always think it's a good idea to have your devices open so you can follow along the story if you're up for it. Um, he says to them, Lazarus has fallen asleep, uh, which would be really good news if Lazarus had the fever that they think he had, um, because it means that he can break the fever. He can start healing. Uh, but Jesus comes clean and he says, actually, no, he hasn't, he hasn't just fallen asleep. I was using a metaphor, not super helpful, Jesus. Uh, and what I actually mean is that Lazarus has died. Uh, and there's this confusing little segment here, which I'm going uh, I'm gonna be honest with you. I struggle with. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about that. And I'm saying this as a pastor, uh, as a leader. I, I don't know. I'm saying this just in all honesty. Sometimes I get pissed off at Jesus that he would be like, okay, I'm just going to let all this suffering happen so that you can see how good I am. Um, that seems to be what's going on here. He, he says, no, it's so that you can see God's glory, so that you can see my glory. I'm glad that he's died. 
because now you're going to understand more about just how good I am. That's problematic in some ways, isn't it? Um, let's just name that and be like, that's, that's complicated um, because it feels like Jesus allowed suffering for the greater good. Um, and now that there is something beautiful in that. There is something really beautiful in that, in that Jesus does eventually, we, as we read through, bring hope and healing. Um, but there've got to be other ways. There's got to be other ways. Um, and this is, uh, this, this is the complication that I find with this little portion of the passage. And I'm just going to put it out there and say, I don't, I, I'm uncomfortable with that. For me, I sit and I say, okay, yep, Jesus knows a whole lot better than I do. Um, and I am able to rest in that knowledge. It's still not super comfortable. Yeah. Anyway, I'll leave that one with you. Wrestle, wrestle with that. Talk about that at the pub. Have fun. Um, uh, but the story keeps going. Uh, and Jesus says, okay, let's now go down to Judea. <gasps> Shock horror. They tried to kill you. And then the disciples led by Thomas, the, the doubter says, okay, well, let's, let's go down with him. Why? So that we can die too. Oh, that's, that's incredible faith. Um, maybe, or incredible stupidity. Um, who knows? But, but Thomas, who, you know, for millennia has been known as the one who doubts Jesus, he's the original one to say, okay, I'm, I'm following you into the death trap. Uh, I'm going with you. They go down uh, and, uh, and they come across scenes of intense grief. First of all, Martha comes out to meet Jesus. Martha runs out of the house and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then they have this conversation in which she says, yeah, I know that, I know that he's going to rise again at the last day. And I know that God, the Father, will give you, Jesus, anything that you ask. And that's kind of where the story ends, for, the, for that little conversation. And it, we, we, it pauses for a moment. And we cut scene to Mary. And Mary, Martha's sister, hasn't come out to greet Jesus. And I sat this week wondering why. Why was it that Mary had not come out to meet Jesus? And a, a, a few people have, you know, lots of people have had thoughts on this matter. A few people say perhaps she didn't have the faith to go out and meet Jesus. Perhaps she didn't trust that Jesus was good. I don't know. We're all guessing at this point because we're just trying to work it out. Here's my little take. At this point, I can't think of a reason why Mary would go out. Um, if I was Mary, I would be so damn pissed at Jesus. I would be so angry that in my moment of grief, not only did Jesus not come, but Jesus had the gall to not heal. They'd seen it happen before. And so eventually, Mary does come out and she says exactly the same words that Martha had said. Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. Let's sit with those words. Uh, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Some people think Mary and Martha are kind of reasserting their faith to say, you know, we, we believe that you're a healer. We're still following you. But they just didn't have enough faith to believe that Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead. I, I, don't, think, I don't think that that's what's going on. I don't think what we're supposed to see here is a lack of faith. I think what we see here is raw grief, is unbridled sadness. You can hear the anguish in their voices. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I, I hear in those words a grief that goes beyond words. And if I was to put words in their mouths, which is always problematic, but if I was to think what else is going on behind the scenes, what are they thinking? I wonder if what we're actually seeing here is Mary and Martha pointing at Jesus and saying, where the hell were you? Where were you? Where were you when my brother was dying? Where were you when my life was falling apart? J Jesus, where, like, where were you? And I think this is an act of faith. I think Mary and Martha are acting in faith to look Jesus in the eye. And for us, it is an act of faith to look Jesus in the eye and say, where were you? What the hell? What's going on? This isn't good enough. This hurts. And I trust that God is big enough for us to come to God and say that. And swear. And scream. And hit walls. And throw things. And say, God, where are you? You got to do better. And Jesus' response, he doesn't try to defend himself. He doesn't tell her to calm down or compose themselves. He doesn't say, I know how you feel. Uh, the response is that Jesus weeps. And that's all we get. Jesus weeps. We know that he is deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Some people have tried at this point to draw a bit of a distinction between uh, Jesus' humanity and Jesus' divinity. 
and this has been a you know a long-standing conversation in theology theology land of what's going on here and some people think that um uh the story goes that here we're seeing jesus humanity you know he, he's crying he's feeling the emotions of this shows just how human jesus is that he would weep like this and in a moment we're going to see his god side i think that's garbage uh, i um, feel free to think that if you want, but I, I personally, I don't know what's going on here. Um, I, I, I personally think that actually uh, what we're seeing when Jesus weeps is divinity. I think that what we're seeing when Jesus weeps is the response of God. Um, it is how God responds to death. Uh, it is absolute grief at the destructive force of death in the world. And it's only after Jesus weeps, it's only after Jesus grieves the realities of death as he sits in the dust with Mary and Martha, his friends whom he loves deeply. It's only after that that we see Jesus starting to act. And there's this funny little line in here, um, as he is weeping, where the Jews that are looking on say, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. Did anyone notice that? Uh, see how he loved him. Now, again, we're kind of trying to guess at what's going on here. Um, some people think the Jews are mocking Jesus. Uh, to be like, oh, look at look at that kind of love. Isn't that pathetic? Like, you know, if you if you're a leader, you shouldn't have that kind of emotion. It's a bit embarrassing. Um, some people think they're trying to be antagonistic. Um, some people think that maybe uh, they were honestly saying, look, look how much Jesus loved him. I wonder why he didn't heal him. Uh, some people have seen queer undertones in there as a Lazarus and Jesus perhaps were more than just friends. Um, some people think that it's, uh, it's the Jews looking and being like, I wonder what Jesus is going to do next with love. All, all those things uh, people have thought. Um, I think the one thing that we can say for certain is that Jesus did indeed love Lazarus, uh, that Jesus did indeed love Lazarus. And when I see that, I recognize that grief, grief is love. Um, grief is love acknowledged. Uh, grief is love observed faithfully. Um, grief is love expressed. I think that's a really helpful framing for when we're sitting in grief. If we don't love we don't grieve. If we don't grieve, perhaps there was never a type of love that leads to grief. When we are sitting with the realities of death, when we are sitting in the realities of loss, it is good to remind ourselves that love is beautiful, that love is holy. And the reason that we grieve is because of this love. Take a breath. 
we, we've covered some big ground, haven't we? Um, we're going we're gonna to start to turn a corner. Um, but I just want to honour all of that, that story that we've heard so far um, and the, the complexities, the depths of it. Um, because we know, uh, we, we've read the end of the story, uh, that this isn't where it ends. Uh, we know that this, this particular story doesn't end in death. And because in the midst of this darkness, Jesus shows himself to be, as we've seen in John constantly, the bringer of light. Um, in the midst of death, as we've seen through John consistently, and it's going to culminate pretty soon at Easter time, surprise, uh, we've seen that Jesus is the embodiment of life. Um, and that wherever Jesus as the king goes, the kingdom starts breaking through. And this kingdom is one of life. And that's what gets revealed in this second half of the story. Uh, that's, that's the pivot that we're going to start working towards. And I said at the beginning, the question that I want us to sit with is what happens when, when we're surprised by newness? How do we respond when newness breaks through, when resurrection comes in? Nadia Boltz-Weber, a Lutheran pastor in the States, puts it this way. That having a God of resurrection means that the story is seldom over when we think it is. The story is seldom over when we think it is. And in this story, we're confronted with the idea of resurrection and sitting with hope. And hope is dangerous. Uh, hope is dangerous for two reasons. One, hope is dangerous to the powers that be because it destabilizes them. That's what we see in the next couple of chapters. Uh, people start in Jesus getting more and more hope and the religious leaders get more and more threatened and eventually they off him. That's, that's the, the danger of hope here. But then there's a second danger of hope that we sit with and that is that that hope may not be realized in the way that we want it to. So hope is dangerous, both for them and for us. And yet, as Christians, we're called to be hopeful. And the basis of our hope, at least in this passage, uh, is in a word that Jesus says, and I skipped over it earlier, you may have noticed, to Martha at the very start of their conversation. They start talking about resurrection and life and want to draw your attention just to one small thing. Jesus doesn't say, I will be resurrected. Instead, he says, I am the resurrection. Big difference. Um, Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. This is verse 25 and 26. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asks. And we get this image of Jesus, not just as one who is passively brought back to life again, but this image of Jesus as the one whom resurrection is at the core of their being. Uh, that Jesus, wherever Jesus goes, resurrection follows. 
Wherever Jesus speaks, resurrection happens. Wherever Jesus exists, resurrection must start taking place because that is who Jesus is. And anything that is not who Jesus is can't sit inside of Jesus. And so whatever the story of humanity is, if Jesus is involved, death loses. That, I think, is the trajectory of this passage, which is even more profound when you read the next chapter and the very next thing that happens is the religious leaders try and find out where Lazarus is. Why? So they can kill him. Poor guy can't get a break. Um, he, he just can't, can't, can't get a break in this section because uh, Lazarus eventually dies again. Um, like he, he's not around now. Like he, he died. Um, uh, and so in some senses, this isn't a true resurrection that we read about. I don't know what to call it. Like, it's not a resuscitation. It's more than that. Like he was dead, but it's not a, it's not a true resurrection because the resurrection is life eternal. The resurrection is in the presence of God for eternity, no end. That's the promise of the trajectory of scripture. Uh, and, and Lazarus passed away again, and yet this hope remains because our hope, and this is how I'm reading it at the moment, our hope is not just in a resurrection. Our hope is in the resurrection, the resurrection being Jesus. Uh, our hope is in the person of Jesus. Uh, and I like to picture Jesus as incredibly big, uh, as incredibly all-encompassing, as incredibly life-giving. That's the Jesus I've come to sit with over the past few years. And I love that picture. It may not be your picture of Jesus, um, but that, that's just how I, I sit with Jesus in that magnitude. Um, and so I think for, for me, as I sit with this idea of hope, and as dangerous as it is, I want to be living my life in such a way, I don't quite know how to explain this, but I want to be living my life in such a way that I'm actively looking for hope. Um, and I'm actively looking for where newness is coming about. And I'm actively looking for what the Spirit is doing. And I want to frame that for myself as God working the light as God bringing resurrection and life and hope. And I think, I, I think that God is actively involved in the world doing those things. Um, and God invites us to partner with God in doing those things. And we're like little vice regents walking around just being little God figures on earth in God's image, bringing about new life. Um, and, and I want to I want to peel back the curtain and take the scales off my eyes and look for hope as dangerous as that is, because I might be disappointed, um, but I, I still want to do it uh, and have myself open to the opportunity to be surprised when I see God doing new things. Now, this is a practice that I'm not very good at. Um, I kind of suck at it, um, but there are people in this room who do do it well. Um, I'm going to lift up Sammy and Steph here and this. You two remind me so often of ways that God is working. And I think you're both really good at pointing it out. 
Um, so I just want to, I want, I want to honor that gift that I think that you have, um, because it's been a gift to me. Um, and, uh, and being actively on the lookout for what God is doing is something that I want to, I want to build into my routine and my life. Um, sometimes then we get surprised. We get surprised by what God is doing. I'm not going to lie. I get surprised all the time at New City Church. When I pinch myself, I'm like, I can't believe that I get to be a part of this community. Uh, I get to be a part of something healing and safe for so many people. Um, and so that for me is where I'm looking and seeing, yeah, it feels like there's something being resurrected here. Um, it feels like Jesus has said, this isn't the end of the story yet. That there's something new that is going to happen. And for a long time, I pointed at Jesus and I said, where the hell were you? Where the hell were you? And now I'm starting to see a bit more of that story unfold. Uh, let me finish with um, some words from Nadia Boltz Weber again. As we enter Lent. Uh, don't, be assume, uh, don't assume you already know how the story goes. Feel free to be surprised. Surprised by empty tombs. Surprised by the thing you never saw coming. Surprised by how you can have something or someone taken from you, which you thought you couldn't live without. And then finding yourself living without them anyway. Surprised by sobriety and that people can love you. Surprised that you tear up when receiving the Eucharist, the communion, and that, oh my gosh, you aren't afraid of that thing you used to be, and surprised that maybe you can actually have a relationship with your body that is not adversarial anymore, and surprised that a relationship you thought was dead is not, and that maybe everyone doesn't hate you after all. Surprised, as we say, at empty tombs and the suddenness of dawn. Mm. Uh, this is how the God of resurrection is wanting to be known. Uh, this is how Jesus is wanting to be known because that is who Jesus is. And joy of joys, we get to the, be the people who know Jesus. Amen.